Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Welcome back to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, special guest, Monica Page. But first, for more information about the Mill Creek View podcast, visit us anywhere you get your podcasts and socials at Mill Creek View, Tennessee. While you're there, please subscribe. Welcome to our People in the News episode, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today, we are talking with Ms. Monica Page. Monica Page, some remember her as Monica Luisi, or better known by her brand name, the Teflon Mon is a weekday reporter and weekend anchor at One America News in San Diego. Originally from small town in Manmouth County, New Jersey, she always had a passion for storytelling, camera work, and creativity. Her passion for media started at a young age, reading tabloids, pursuing through fashion magazines, and dreaming of being the anchor on her local television news channel. Dream come true. Her bright, outgoing personality and passion shines through her work, and her love for media continues to grow even after achieving her bachelor's degree in broadcast journalism at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. While in college, she interned with popular celebrity news outlets, Entertainment Tonight. Post-graduation, Monica hosted the Facebook Watch and YouTube segments, along with video production at the Emmy award-winning company, The Daily Mail in New York City. Previously, Monica was an associate producer at Newsmax TV for daytime show, American Agenda, and Bob Sellers and Heather Childers, as well as the primetime weekend show, The Count. Currently, Monica is a weekday reporter and weekend anchor at One American News in San Diego, California, where she enjoys covering current event stories she's passionate about. She continues speaking her mind and covering the latest news and life stories for her podcast, The Mon Father. And now an exciting new gig. We'll get into that in a moment. Uh, hello, Monica, Mon Father. How are you today? Hi, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and on with you guys. Awesome. Are you in San Diego, sunny San Diego today? Yes, I am. I just wrapped up uh, a long day of truth telling, as always. I love it. It never stops. Excellent. All right. Well, their quarterback just got a sweet deal. Massive extension. Justin Herbert, five years, $262.5 million. You follow the Chargers still, or are uh, you looking over to the Commanders or whatever the Redskins in D.C. are called now? Uh, I do not follow the San Diego sports, except, I, you know, what? I was following the Padres for a little bit, um, and then they just fell off very early on. I'm a Yankees fan through and through. I'm a Jets fan. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> uh, I knew I liked something just, about you. All right. Now I understand the, the it. The Jets yeah. are just not it. But, uh, you know, I'm a big hockey fan. Big hockey fan. I love my New Jersey Devils. New Jersey doesn't have any sport anymore except for hockey. So I'm a big Devils fan. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I don't know much about hockey, so we'll talk about you. We'll talk about um, <laughs> now, if you want to, you went to high school in France. Uh, you weren't a military kid. How'd that happen for you? So I, well, I went to high school in Allentown, New Jersey, but I did an abroad exchange program in France. So I took French in high school. I, I don't know what was up with me, but when I was in high school, I was a huge Francophone. I loved France, everything. I loved the food, the language, the culture, all of it. And then uh, we got the opportunity to go abroad to France to live there for a week with a host family, our class. And I did that. I got paired up with this girl. Um, we're still in touch. Uh, all these years later, over 10 years later, 
And, uh, and yeah, it was stunning. And I got to live in like their little neighborhoods that they live in and visit all the, you know, obviously all the amazing museums and landmarks. And, and then they came here that next, that following year. Um, and then that was my first time in Washington, D.C. was when they came here. And that must have been, what, 2012, 2013. Yeah, I, I love France. Um, it's a shame what's happening over there in France right now. But, you know, I just I love I love the culture. It is. It is happening all over the place. Um, so after yeah. that, Marist College Journalism School in Poughkeepsie, New York. Not exactly France. Uh, not mm -hmm. many uh, come out of there with a level head like you have. Uh, you, you are on record as you were being bullied there. What happened and what do you remember about your college and did it prepare you for the news business? Oh my gosh, beyond. It definitely prepared me, my college experience. Um, I went in as a fun, outgoing freshman and knowing nothing about politics, really, or just really not getting involved in politics. And I left with thick skin and a passion for the GOP. Um, and I, I like the fact that I left college without becoming a liberal. Um, I take a lot of pride in that. Um, I was surrounded by a lot of tri-state area kids. And while that to me sounds like a good thing, I lose a lot of Long Island kids and they come from a lot of money and they come from a lot of cookie cutter families and friendships and relationships. And I just was never a cookie cutter kid. Like I just always stood out. I was just like a Jersey Shore kind of girl who's down to earth and just likes to get along with everybody and have fun and kids took that as like a threat and there was things posted about me online on social media and message boards anonymously so I wouldn't know if they were my friends posting it or being idiots or whatever and that definitely woke me up to okay this is what social media is it's getting a lot worse a lot more anonymous it's growing it's expanding you don't know what anyone's posting you don't know what anyone's saying um and but then again, you really do know what everything and all the time. So it was a very strange time for me. Um, and now, in retrospect, I'm so thankful that I went through all that at Marist. Um, I originally thought it was going to be a great time. It wasn't. And now that I'm in the news business and I see what other people could say about me online, I'm like, wow, they could be even br more brutal than what mm. I dealt with in school forget it. It's like, it's a, it's a cakewalk. It's right over my head. I don't even, I'm not even phased by it anymore. At this point, you know, I've seen comments on Twitter all the time and I don't even think twice about it. I'm just like, you know what? These people are sad. They're keyboard warriors. <laughs> uh, we've all been there and it's just another day in the life of, you know, it's one of the things that comes with being a truth teller. A lot, not a lot of people like to hear the truth. Yeah. No, when the mob comes for you, it's not a pretty thing. But if you have uh, learned it early and even before, uh, if you had started in your career and then it came, you, yeah, you would not have been prepared. Um, you wrote very honestly that you drank to the point of blacking out five out of seven days a week. So you obviously took it very, very hard, but uh, a tolerance in drinking can't be too um, uh, disqualifying in the news business. You're going to be working with a lot of people that, that can go all night. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That yeah. Some really unhealthy habits developed in college. Um, I'm kind of also glad I got that out of the way. I got all that out of my system because now, like with this new schedule that I had uh, working at OAN, you know, I, it's it's a lot of early mornings. It's not a lot of going out. It's not a lot of you know even staying up late, not past nine thirty, because I got to be up at four thirty to be at work. Um, so. I am glad that I went through it all. That was just like a really bad coping method. Um, and I gained 25 pounds when I was in college and I had that freshman 15, more like freshman 25. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I just think that these things are so important to talk about, even 
even if it's frowned upon, just because I just hope that at least one person can relate to my story and, you know, how I got here. Because I didn't come from money. I didn't come from somebody who knew somebody in this business. Uh, my, my dad's a retired FDNY. My mom's a high school English teacher. I don't have any relatives in this business. It's just me, myself, and I. And, you know, you just got to make your way, find your way. And if you don't have a path, you make one for yourself. And I learned that, again, like, like you mentioned, very early on. Yeah, starting out on the West Coast like you did, um, when I was younger, I used to say I was not making enough money to be an alcoholic. But the truth was I had to get up at 5 a.m. before the market opened, so I couldn't really stay up all night to be an alcoholic. So for that, it's good that we both uh, grew up out of that. Um, right. You also attributed old-time Italian mafia movies that prepared you for the media. Uh, John Gotti, I think you had said he was real. But is that right? Uh, a combination of uh, thin, thick skin from college and a uh, understanding and love for Italian mafia to keep, keep you sane and, and strong? Oh, yeah. There have been Goodfellas on repeat, The Godfather on repeat. You know, I, I love those movies so much. And, you know, they not only teach you about family values and, you know, being loyal to your family and close friends, but also don't trust anybody. Uh, this this industry in broadcast journalism, it's uh, it's very cutthroat. And you kind of always do have to watch your back because somebody gets jealous that you're on camera or somebody doesn't like that you're covering this story when it's their beat. You know, people people talk bad behind your back. You know, it's... You really just can't trust anybody in this industry. Just hold one or two close people to you and uh, and you're sure to succeed there. Um, but it's, you know, I do love the, I do love the Italian culture. I grew up, you know, my both my parents are full Italian. Great Sunday dinners every night, even family dinners every night growing up. You know, there was never a TV on, never, nobody has a cell phone at the table. You know, you sit at the table and you talk about your day. And, you know, it's just those little things that I grew up with that I do plan on taking with me for my future. And even just in my career too, you know, having those connections. Great. Um, so you have also said that your family and God, your father was a New York uh, City firefighter. Uh, tell us about um, your family and how they got you to this point. Yeah, my family is everything to me. And I know everyone says that, but, you know, growing up, um, you know, my, my dad was a New York City firefighter. Uh, you know, he was working in the firehouse while I was a kid, but you know, it's not like he wasn't there. He was, he came home and, and my dad was my first best friend ever growing up. And, you know, when my mom became a teacher, she, they had to kind of switch roles a little bit. Uh, so she went to work and my, then my dad retired to be home with us. So we never had a babysitter really, unless like my grandma would come over or whatever. Um, so my dad became, he took on those traditional family value roles where he was doing the cooking and he was doing everything, taking care of us. And, and it was great. Um, he, uh, I grew up with one little brother. He's 22. He's very much involved. Well, he wants to be involved in um, FBI government work and all that kind of stuff. So he went to college at Seton Hall University um, and he graduated about two years ago. He's great. He still lives at home with my family uh, and they're still very much together. My parents are still together um, pretty much over 30 years at this point. Um, they're great. Um, born and raised Catholic, went to church on Sundays growing up as a kid, did my Sundays. It wasn't really Sunday school, but it was kind of after school for about an hour. We did, we did uh, 
it's kind of like it's called CCD. I'm sure everyone has different names for it. Uh, but yeah, and I, I received my sacraments and, you know, I attribute a lot of it to God. I grew closer to God within these last couple of years. I really strayed away from God when I was in college and I kind of saw the repercussions of it of kind of losing a relationship with God. And the more that I kept praying, the more that good things would happen to me. It's just all about, you know, just remember that God is testing you. And, you know, it may not be pretty, you know, when something bad happens to you, but that is God testing you. You ask for patience. He's going to put you in a situation that will give you patience and help you form that patience. And I learned a lot of that in this process of getting to where I am now. Why aren't I getting callbacks? Why is nobody interviewing me? You know, why am I stuck behind this computer screen all day and nobody's putting me on camera yet? And all those little things uh, definitely have, I, I, I owe it a lot to my family and God for sure. That's beautiful. And they certainly wouldn't hire you at CNN or MSNBC talking like that, would they? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> So when you were going through the process of where you wanted to work, um, I found it very interesting. I looked up Odyssey, where you started out uh, your working career, and they specialize in millennials, technology, social media, which you just talked about an experience in college with that publisher platform. And this was in New York City. Um, did that work as a creator with millennials help you out for what was to come? Well, the Odyssey, that was, a, that was a project that I did when I was in college to kind of get my voice out there. And although it was like a great platform, I don't think that many millennials at that time liked to hear what I was talking about. I remember writing about uh, Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. That was when he first started taking a knee around 2016 during the national anthem, maybe 2017. Um, and that didn't sit right with me. And I wrote about it. And then I wrote about a relationship experience that I had in college to try and kind of gain some more traction on my page. Like if people don't like to get political with me, then we might as well just like talk about dating and see who, see who jumps on board and kind of get that, push that out there. And then maybe more people will come to see my po more political stuff. Uh, that was, that did not last long at all, just because I just didn't feel like anybody was listening. Um, and I feel like my passion didn't really lie with writing with not print journalism, but online writing. Um, I wanted to join the radio station and I did that instead for a little bit, but I just thought that the writing was a great outlet. It was great training. Um, and then the millennial market, man, it's a, it's so strange because the millennials are so 50-50 split. Like there are ones who still want to live in mom's basement and just kind of make money off the government and do the least work as possible. Uh, and then there's like real millennials who know the true value of hard work and know that, you know, they're, what their money's going to and taxes and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, being thrown into it, uh, you know, during the 2016 election, because I threw myself into it. I was like, I can vote for the first time in 2016, I, I got to take this seriously. And that's kind of when I got involved in politics and writing more about political stuff um, on the Odyssey. I'm pretty sure that's like way liberal now. The Odyssey medium, that's like all liberal owned at this point. Yeah. But I think your, you know, I your columns would be great. found a much happier home at the Mill Creek View than it would have at Odyssey. But it was interesting to see that you at least could figure sure. out that you didn't want to play that game. Um, right, I didn't. And then you were at Entertainment Tonight um, at a very interesting time. It was fall 2017, just after the fallout of Donald Trump and the Billy Bush hot mic and Nancy O'Dell and and at the time her producer Brad Bessie, I think his name was. Uh, yeah, mm. uh, Billy Bush apologized to Nancy, but of course it was humili humiliating for everyone involved. Um, did you have to see all that through? What what, what were you doing at that time? Well, it's, it's interesting. During Entertainment Tonight, I was pretty much going on like news press junkets and red carpet events. And I was I was only a productions assistant intern. But it was so cool to see the process of 
of you know what's happening behind the scenes what are people getting all frazzled about what's the hottest take right now and for a while i really thought that being in entertainment news is what i wanted um i wanted to work for tmz i wanted to be like the next harvey levin i thought it was the coolest thing in the world to have a hobby be a career and especially with something that isn't as serious as politics it's entertainment it's movies TV shows, music, and being on red carpets and meeting celebrities. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And it was at the time. Um, but now as more issues come to light, I realized that taking that route really wouldn't have gotten me far at all, considering that my political views would not be accepted at a place like that. Um, or your religious I, views either. I, that too, yeah. Because celebrities, man, they they push an agenda unlike any other. And they're the, the, the prime... Uh, kind of, I guess, outlet to push this because I mean, people look up to them, they look up to their work. And who better than to push uh, a satanic anti God agenda than the than the left and the, than, than the celebrities. Um, so I mean, I loved it for the time, but I wasn't there for the Billy Bush stuff. I don't think um, I was I must have been too busy with other stuff. But I do remember hearing about it. Um, uh, now looking back, I'm very thankful that I did not pursue that outlet at yeah. all but daily mail came close because daily mail was right after that and that came pretty yeah. close to celebrity news yeah yeah i want to get into that too but you um mm -hmm. the uh i was listening to some of the uh actors the people you said people look up to who were speaking they're making speeches in uh response to uh disney's Iger. uh because they're obviously on strike and the and the actors join them and they haven't done that since the 60s and um they sounded like either they were right out of Les Mis from the uh, French Revolution or at least a Marxist training camp. Uh, I couldn't believe that actors were talking about the job as if they were the janitor in a uh, uh, rent-controlled you know, property somewhere in Manhattan. So pretty crazy. I think you're pretty probably better off out of that. Um, so now you're big time. Dream come true from what I read from your bio, news anchor. You once co-hosted a podcast, Weekly Sit Down, maybe you still do. Uh, do you miss the podcast format like I have or, uh, you know, without the commercial breaks and no camera in your face, or do you prefer live TV? Well, that's a great question. I really, like, there's give and take with both. Um, I, I love the personal, the personable feel of a podcast where you could just sit one-on-one -on -one and just be yourself and just let things flow naturally. Um, and then being on camera live. It's kind of like you have be a little bit more poised, a little more prim and proper. And, you know, you got to kind of watch what you say. I can't be thrown around F-bombs as I would on, on like a regular <laughs> podcast. Um, but, you know, I do love a podcast. I do I do think I prefer it um, just because I'm just so much more comfortable speaking. I like to let my ideas flow. Um, I can kind of go off the cuff and ramble about different things. Um, sticking to a script is is a little bit as easy as it sounds. There's some difficulties to it um because i feel like i have to stick to one area going off the cuff would be kind of going on tangents and people would tune out um and plus you're limited to time time restrictions like you mentioned so definitely prefer the podcast format totally yeah yeah well, i was honored to be a guest on your show and i actually had to dress up with a color right? i couldn't wear my yeah. casual t-shirt so nothing that and then of course below the desk who knows what's going on so it's always nice to <laughs> <laughs> what was weekly sit down about so Weekly Sit Down was, uh, I forget how they approached me. There were these two guys that are awesome, and they're from, uh, I think, somewhere in New York. They were pretty much just talking about current events, uh, I think a little bit politics, a little bit of 
just what was happening and, and, and media and all that kind of stuff. And they asked me to be on their show a couple times. And that's about an hour long, just talking about dating and, and uh, media, current events. That lasted not too long. Um, it was definitely a hobby in college. It was definitely something nice to give me something to look forward to and do in my spare time and kind of also prep me for, because that was the real first podcast that I was ever on and ever asked to be on. And I think it kind of set a standard to to do my own stuff in the future and my own creative outlet. So, you know, I love I loved doing that for a little bit. Um, I wonder how they're doing now. I haven't spoken to them, but I think they're doing their own thing right now. Uh, but that was definitely that was definitely great and okay. helped me project me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. More like Oprah than your other hero, Liz Cho, yeah. reading off the teleprompter. So yeah. you, you could have gone either way and, and you chose the Liz Cho route. I did. I did. And I loved Liz Cho. I, I don't know if she's a lib. I'm not even going to get into her politics. But when I was five years old, that woman was like, um, she was just so beautiful to me. I was and, and she's still gorgeous. But watching ABT7, I went to snooze. I would watch to uh to see when my dad would come home from work every day we would do the traffic and weather updates and she was she'd be on talking about whatever in new york and just seeing her hair and makeup done and she looked so glamorous and i'm like i want to be her i want to be here when i grow up and it's kind of surreal to see the process of how i got here um i still don't know how i got here <laughs> i don't know what the hell's going on but I'm i just listed i just listed all the things pretty much you really did Except for this new one. Um, I love personally because I have to scour news on a regular basis, not only for this show, but for the paper. But I love the Daily Mail. I love how their headlines pretty much encapsulate the whole article. Um, yeah. not, not a big fan of all the ads on their website. There's a lot of them. But, you know, you were there a while, 2018 to December 2020. Fascinating time in, in history. Uh, what did you experience there working with them? Oh, it was, at first it was great. Um, I thought it like, I really thought I had made it. <laughs> My first real job after college and I really thought that I made it. Um, it was kind of uh, like, like you mentioned, it's a great company. They What they do there, it really sets the tone. They really raise the bar for, like you said, the headlines and all encapsulate the story. The website could always use some work, but they've got everything. They've got celebrities, news, health, science, pop culture, uh, female beauty stuff. It was awesome. Working there was cool. Um, but I did not like sitting at a computer for eight to nine hours a day while also commuting back and forth from New York to New Jersey. Um, I didn't have any money to save up for a place right after college, like most of kids my age did, unless their parents are paying for it somehow. Um, I had to commute back and forth in, uh, an hour and a half every each way, five days a week. And that also included weekends. So my mental health took a toll. Um, sitting behind a computer every day took a toll. And also I was censoring videos. So so not many people know that like when you're a video producer at like maybe any network, news network, um, you come across some really gnarly stuff, whether it's like kids with disabilities being abused, animal abuse, sexual predators, sexual assault. I had to go in and get pull the videos with, with the user's permission or whatever and uh, censor and blur things. And some mm. of the stuff that I saw at like 18, 19 years old, um, totally desensitized me. And it was really, like I'd go home crying some days, like some of the things that I saw, just maybe because I'm a sensitive person. Uh, I mean, especially at the time where, you know, I, everything is new to me and, you know, I'm dealing with a lot of stuff right after college, you know, friendships and commuting and now this, mm -hmm. and it was just a lot. And definitely yeah, no, don't that, that's not that's not too sensitive yeah. that's that uh, my uncle no. was a was a vice cop in san francisco and another one in seattle uncle 
and uh, the stuff they saw would bring them to tears. And these were veterans from of the military. I mean, there, there's some nasty stuff out there. And yeah, I get it. I, I didn't even think of how in the newsroom, of course, but of course, it's the same stuff. So, you know, um, all right, on a lighter note, Elton John, Prince Harry, I think Elizabeth Hurley are suing the Daily Mail for uh, in their statement. Hamlin's alleged that the activity included the hiring of private investigators to secretly place listening devices inside people's cars and homes, the commissioning of individuals to surreptitiously listen into and record people's lives, private telephone calls whilst they were taking place, the payment of police officials with corrupt links to private investigators for inside sensitive information, the impersonation of individuals to obtain medical information from private hospitals, clinics, and treatment centers by deception, the accessing, accessing of bank accounts, credit histories, and financial transactions through illicit means and manipulation. Ah, for you, it wasn't all glamour, um, but not that bad. Or what do you think of all this? Is this how the news is done? Yeah, it's really not surprising. Um, you know, the UK version of the Daily Mail, so they have they have the, their UK office. It's like the Wild West out there. Um, you could just pretty much grab videos and pictures without really asking for much permission. Um, I don't really know how they operate. I had the opportunity to go out to the UK in May of 2020. No, 2019. Whatever, whatever was right before COVID, I had the opportunity to go there and visit the office. Um, that doesn't surprise me. When I even when I was there. Uh, Harry and Meghan were also doing the lawsuit. So it's the fact that it's still ongoing. It's, it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I definitely enjoyed my time. It definitely molded me. I kind of did a little bit of on-camera web stuff there as well. Uh, so I was kind of tired of sitting behind a computer screen. And then I just did some stupid intro outro for their YouTube and, and Facebook page. But that's besides the point. I mean, that was really cool. And that kind of helped me a little bit give me something else to do besides sitting at a computer. But yeah, a lot of people sue the Daily Mail all the time. And yeah. I'm going all over the place with this, but there's so much to say about Daily Mail. Um, I think I they do it a little home. differently in the UK though, than they did it here oh, yeah. where you were working. I mean, they, 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 yeah. they paparazzi, I think was a kind of invented there. They hounded uh, mm. Diana all over the place. I mean, it's rough over there for sure. Uh, maybe different. You may have edited the videos, but uh, okay. different and a lot different than Burger King I think at 14 years oh old god. that was your first job was that your mom's work ethic uh, getting you there getting you oh my there? god hell yeah <laughs> so so I really resented her for a while because of that but looking back like I thank her for it because um I think that was some of some of the most interesting times because all the kids at 14 were hanging out with each other after school and having their summers off and me at 14 i was running the cash register at burger king uh, the one right by six flags in new jersey and that was my first job i was working nine to fives at 14. i opened up my own credit card at 16. i paid for my own cell phone at 15. and because my mom said you want you know if you want something you're going to pay for it because we're not going to do this keeping up with the joneses thing where you know you want a phone and i just go out and get it for you you're going to work for it and everything that I've ever wanted, I've worked for it. You know, I never asked for anything. Yeah, that's great. And you actually earlier said uh, you considered the millennials about a 50-50 split. I'm not so yeah. sure, uh, not to argue with you, but I think you may be even more of a unicorn at this point. But you are on record saying how absolutely terrifying it is, those are your words, to be a Republican female when all you read about are how absolutely terrible some Republicans are. What made you say that? What were you referring to? And is it as bad as it was uh, 10 years later? Uh, yeah, I mean, being a Republican female, it, I mean, it's tough because, you know, when you have the left trying to tell you that you're oppressed every single day and that my argument and my 
and my life is not valid because I'm a white girl who comes from privilege somehow. Um, everything that I say is wrong. Every, everything that I do is wrong. Um, and, it, you know, being a Republican woman is a unicorn. You know, it really is like being a black sheep. Um, I, I am so lucky to have the values and, and work ethic that was instilled in me. And I, it's easy to be a Democrat. It's easy to think that, you know, all these things are all these, um, you know, all the policies sound great on paper. And then when they're actually put to, te- put to the test and put into real life, it's, it's terrible. It just never works. I mean, criminal bailout, the, the letting everybody in, you know, through the border, like this all sounds great. Oh yeah. You know, accept everybody. Um, you know, being a Republican girl, it was, it's tough here in California where I'm living right now. I actually lost friends as quickly as I, as I made them. Somebody in California, uh, here in San Diego, uh, let me use her garage or parking garage because I have street parking here and it sucks sometimes during Padres games. So I'd park my car at her garage. I'd pay her 50 bucks a month. And then there's somebody else who lives at that, abil- that building who found my Instagram posts to be uh, not to his liking and is trying to get me banned from the building. And, and this is like recent too, just for being you know, Republican, he thinks I'm a homophobe, a racist, a bigot. Like these are all like leftist, leftist narratives that really make being a Republican woman hard. And I mean, I take pride in it. You know, I'm not afraid to tell people where I work. I'm not afraid of losing friends at this point. Like I take pride in, in this because this is who I am. And if you don't like it, sorry, like I, I can't help you. But, um, you know, people think that we're all, but we're bad. They call names. They, you know, but we we have we have the American interest at heart. And people would just listen to us instead of screaming over us and and trying to dismiss us and say, no, I don't want to argue. Like orange man, bad. But I'm not going to tell you why. And then they say, you know, just just look at all the things that he's done. Okay, you list one. They can never just list one. No, they can't no. list any. No, a, so, a mile long and an inch deep. And you know, a hundred years ago, yeah. it was the Italians. It was the Jews. It was the Irish. It was the same white people that they are now saying are so privileged. It's so slave ownership, even though we had nothing to do with that. My family didn't even arrive at America till long after slavery, probably years too. Uh, and had right. we, had they, we would have been slaves, just like you. So the whole the whole concept of this uh, holier than thou, you you're just a Republican, and therefore you're inferior to our intellectual elite college graduate uh, mentality is the amazing part. You didn't fall for it. You grew up in a whole different way and you came out with your head still held high and able to look above it. And so now after Burger King, the job openings were very narrow for somebody like you. And so Newsmax, obviously there was Fox, Newsmax and OAN, which didn't even exist 20 years ago or 10 years ago. So Mm -hmm. Newsmax, you started after the November election, but were there for January 6th, uh, impeachment Mm 3.0. And I think the handover a Pelosi to McCarthy after Dems lost the house. And of course, while Fox was losing a lot of viewers for their calling Arizona early, and that's before firing Tucker, what do you make of your time at Newsmax? Oh my gosh, my time at Newsmax was one of the best times. Um, this was because I was working at home right before and I was miserable. I was like, I got to get the hell out of here. I like, I hate, I, I do not like being at Daily Mail anymore. I got to get out of here. I need to break into the broadcast news industry, not just web. So, I applied, they hired me. I was a productions assistant, bottom of the totem pole, um, just filling in elements into news segments and stuff. And I worked on American Agenda with Bob Bob Sellers and Heather Childers. And Heather kind of took me under her wing. Um, I really 
you know, I've always expressed an interest of being on camera and being a, like a TV journalist. And she, you know, I, I approached her and I asked her for, you know, her guidance and help with everything. And she always gave me advice and would helped me through this whole process and career journey of mine. Um, but being a Newsmax in general, the people, incredible. They're down to earth. They're fun. It's high stakes. It's run, you know, uh, it's, it's high pressure. You know, when something blows up, it's the most exciting time. When breaking news happens, everyone's scrambling. Everyone's yelling at each other. Everyone's running in and out of the control room. Um, what are we doing? We're going to take it live. Do this, do this. It's ex so exciting. You know, there's nothing more thrilling to me, at least, than being in a newsroom during breaking news. Um, but I love my time. And then after a production's assistant, I was an associate producer. So then I started writing more and producing segments. Um, I got to meet Madison Cawthorn. I got to meet um, uh, one of the Pennsylvania Republican uh, representatives there. Uh, Dan Muser, he's awesome. You know, meeting people coming in and out of the office, it was really cool. Um, great hours. I worked like... 8 a.m. to 4 because the show's over at 4. Um, and then at, towards the end of my time at, at Newsmax, I got to do a little bit of traveling. So during the Arizona Senate debates, I got to go to Arizona twice, um, and I had never been out there before. So uh, it was cool. I got to go to New Hampshire for that, too. Um, I'm, I still keep in touch with a lot of people there. I keep in touch with John Bachman. I keep in touch with um, a couple of the producers out there still. Um, you know, I met my boyfriend out there in Newsmax. He's still there. Um, he's one of the national correspondents and, and they're great. There's just like a little family that I've been taking with me throughout this journey. So I love it. I still keep in touch with them. Great. Um, now you were again, public. I'm not telling anything out of school here, diagnosed with panic disorder. So how do you handle the pressure of lights, camera action in the studio now, uh, how, do you, how do you handle it? Yeah, well, so uh, I was diagnosed with panic disorder probably around the high school time. Um, I, I don't know what, I don't know how this happened to me, but I just kind of let my brain wander and I just kind of just daydream like it, randomly at any random time, I would just be daydreaming. And then I get so lost in that daydream that when I come out of it, I couldn't distinguish like, was I just in like reality or not? And it would bring upon this panic attack that felt like at first I was having a heart attack. I don't know. I was like, what's happening here? Um, and then, I don't know, that that was, uh, it, it stopped. It stopped a lot now because I have better diet and exercise, but it, I have a type of panic disorder called derealization where it's hard for you to distinguish like what's real and what's not sometimes where you can just kind of have, you can just like, get so lost in your thoughts or you can kind of question your surroundings so much so to the point where your brain kind of freaks out and you're, and they're like, oh my God, uh, this reality is not real. Nothing's real. And it's kind of like some weird, uh, weird anxiety spiral. Um, I did go to seek some counseling after college to kind of like deal with that because it was happening a lot more after college. Um, I feel like with the lights, camera, action, it turns off. I can totally turn it off in a way because I, my mind is occupied. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm constantly, you know, working. My mind is going. Mm. Um, I trying to lay off the caffeine. The caffeine kind of brings it on too. Um, being overly caffeinated and dehydrated will do that to you too. Um, yeah, I'm glad you asked about that because um, I made a YouTube video about it a while ago, way while ago. And people still to this day comment about it. Well, maybe I forget it was like maybe six years ago, five years ago. They still comment on it. Hey, how'd you get how did you help yourself during that time? And I started relying on like natural remedies besides diet and exercise. Uh, I started taking like CBD. I think that helps calm me. Um, all natural remedies always have been helping me. So that's little things. 
Okay. Well, thank yeah. you for sharing that. Um, so you were also there when Emerald Robinson was fired for uh, tweets against vaccines. Okay. So you did get to know her, I'm guessing. And yeah. what did you make of her? She gave the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, a, a real run for her money. And hopefully we get to talk about that in a minute too. So I really admire Emerald. I think that woman is so brave and she is a real powerhouse in the conservative media industry. I really, I really looked up to her um, and I still do. Uh, when I started there, she, she was still based in DC. Um, I didn't really get to know her as well as I wanted to. I met her on New Year's Eve and she was just so tired that I don't think she even really wanted to talk to anybody. I felt so bad because um, it was like after just a really long night. Um, and then she came back to the office a couple months after that, and she was very sweet. But I really admired her for standing up against the vaccine. I think it's so important to question everything. And she really kind of helped me realize, like, you should be questioning everything. Don't just, like, sit here and keep your thoughts to yourself um, and just, like, worry about who's going to, you know, offend, who's, who you're going to offend or who's going to be lose, who's, who you're going to lose as a friend or and if you lose your job, whatever, it's so important to speak your mind. And she definitely paved the way for me to really be myself on Twitter and social media and even in, in general. Uh, she, I really admire her work and I'm really proud that she stood up. I really, you know, I do want to say I kind of lost respect for Newsmax when they let her go. Um, I understand why they did it. They want to keep their credibility. I understand the criticism from them, but you know, if you gotta know what you're getting yourself into, you know, when, when you when you have when you bring upon people, um, and it was really wrong for them to just let her go like that, the way that they did. It wasn't even like a slap on the wrist. It was just kind of like, uh, okay, you're done. You're like you're cut off. But you know, when another one of our anchors, the morning anchors, makes an April Fool's joke about the Russia declaring ceasefire, only he gets the slap on the wrist. Like you don't joke about people getting killed overseas. Um, you just don't do that as April Fools and trick your viewers. Um, but Emerald Robinson was talking about some pretty real stuff that I think people should be questioning. Um, and now you see it now. You see the truth about it coming out now. People are, Bronny Jackson's got a heart attack. All these young kids dying randomly. Come on, that's ridiculous. I know. Back in 2020, you know, it feels like 100 years ago, but it wasn't. It was only three. The White House correspondents removed one American news network, OANN, from its coronavirus briefing rotation. Uh, I pretty much knew they had something to hide that day. That was the day I kind of realized, like, whoa. Uh, were the producers freaked out by that? Yeah, I mean, we were really upset. Um, I mean, Newsmax, I'm sure. I mean, they were still, I'm pretty sure, Emerald, Emerald, I I can't remember whether she, I don't think she was allowed in anymore, but we have James Rose in there now. Uh, but Chanel, uh, I'm, I absolutely love her so much. She is so amazing. And she is also another powerhouse uh, woman in the conservative movement. She, uh, she went on, uh, I think it was Alex Stein's podcast and she was kind of giving, and then she told me personally, she, you know, had the seat, she lost the seat. You got to stand in the back of the room. Then she lost the back of the room to a small taped off square that she had to stand in and she couldn't leave the square on the ground. She had to stay in that little box. This Chanel and, Rowan we're talking about, right? Yeah, Chanel Rowan, she is awesome. Really? Um, yeah, yeah she, she's still very much involved with OAN. Um, we, are, we are very much in touch. Um, I've been to a couple of the press briefings and I see where she stands and you know, 
it's I'm glad that they have us back there, but we are not allowed in the White House Correspondents Association. So yeah, she at the started same time, her own. I'll, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. At the same time, Fox and Newsmax, so the other two conservative outlets, said it would be implementing a vaccine slash testing requirement in accordance with the Biden administration's policy. Tucker the other night with Asa Hutchinson from Alabama said, actually he said it again with uh, Ice Cube yesterday in a, in a mm -hmm. driving in the car type conversation. Uh, he said, when he was asked, did you have one? He said, of course not. So he wasn't following Fox's procedure. Jenna Borello, who is now Emerald's producer, uh, left Fox to avoid a vaccine. Um, mm -hmm. She says, uh, you know, she's public about that. Steve Cortez left for the same reason. Do you know them? And 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 how do you feel about Newsmax's policy versus, um, say, OANN's? Yeah. So uh, I remember when they were that when Newsmax was doing the rounds, and they were like, "All right, everybody, you're gonna have to start, you know, showing your proof of vaccination." And I was prepared to just do a religious exemption. I was prepared to avoid all emails and all people coming to get me. I was avoiding all of that at all costs. Um, I do know Steve Cortez. Um, I used to, I, I, I didn't work on his show, but uh, I was very friendly with him. And I used to call him my tanspiration because I loved his tan. Um, <laughs> he used to joke about that all the time. Uh, but yeah, I was very disappointed when Newsmax was going was doing their rounds. They did it more so with the primetime shows for some reason. They didn't really do it with me. I got the email. I just pretended like I didn't see it. Um, I wasn't going to comply with it. And I knew that I wasn't going to do that. OIN, from my understanding, never forced anything on anybody. Um, they didn't force anybody to show anything or, or, or talk about, you know, are you vaccinated or not? That's no, that was nobody's business. And that's how it should be. These are medical records. These are people's personal choices. You shouldn't be talking about that kind of stuff. And I'm very thankful that, you know, I kind of avoided that from Newsmax. I mean, they, they didn't, they didn't really hit too hard with it, thankfully, but I did, I did, I didn't comply with that. Okay. So people are going to ask me why I didn't ask you, but do you want to share who the love interest at OANN is? And, and so we're just gloss right over it. <laughs> you can so my, so my, my love interest is, well, he's at Newsmax. He's been there for as long as I've been there. Sorry, right. um, he started as, he's, yeah, he started as a booker. Um, his name is Mike Carter. He's great. We've been dating for two and a half years. And now he's, he's a national correspondent um, and he covers pretty much anything and everything that he's assigned to. So we're doing the distance, uh, you know, we work together. It was, it was good when we were working together because he was, we were on the same team. Like he'd be out shooting stuff during the day and, and I'd be at the computer writing and, and whatever at the office. Uh, but, you know, it's, it was really nice. It's still really nice because he kind of gives me tips on what I can do better or, you know, what he thinks I should cover. And, and he's very up with the latest stuff. And, and, you know, if I'm falling short on something, he'll be sure to help me out. But now nah, he's great. We've been doing the long distance for the past seven months here and, you know, it's been working out. I go there and he comes here. So we're very much very career oriented in our own ways by coastal. And then, um, yeah, it, it's, it's been great. So he's okay. awesome. Okay, good. So I can uh, yeah. avoid the emails now. Don't send me emails. Listen to the show. No, um, so you reminded me of something too. You said how uh, there was a practical joke played on April Fool's about, you know, a tasteless joke about dying versus the vaccine that Emerald was fired for. But, you know, Newsmax hired James Rosen to replace Emerald. And he'd been fired from Fox for a series of sexual harassment allegations. Mark Halpern also, mm -hmm. um, now that I think about it. 
many people saw the movie and know the harassment story of Roger Ailes and Megyn Kelly and Gretchen Carlson. You know, Bill O'Reilly had his issues. Chris Cuomo at CNN had his issues. What's with sexual harassment at cable news? I don't know. I mean, you got a bunch of beautiful women in cable news and the men go crazy. Um, I take all those, you know, I don't like to say believe all women. I just don't like to say it because um, at the end of the day, like if there's there's three sides to every story. There's his side, her side and the truth. Um, And Blase Ford admitted she lied recently. So, yeah, you can't believe all women. Of course. Believe all anybody. I know. Yeah, exactly. And um, I don't know. I just uh, I'm sorry. What was your question? Oh, just just why is it so rampant over there? You know, you'd think that if it could bring somebody like Bill O'Reilly down, they'd clean up their act and stop it, but they don't. They keep going. Oh, yes. Bill O'Reilly, that's right. And it's funny, that's what exactly what I wanted to say. Bill O'Reilly was the reason why I chose Marist, because I loved Bill O'Reilly, and I still love him. And Marist, like, revoked his, one of his awards for, in in journalism or something that he received at Marist, um, which was a shame, you know what I mean? Um, But... Yeah, I think it's just when you're cooped up in the newsroom and you're looking for entertainment because you're not getting that anywhere else. Uh, newsrooms also, they have a very uh, bad reputation for um, infidelity. Um, I hear a lot about people and you know cheating on their wives uh, in, the, in the news industry. There's always a lot of you know interesting relationships behind people's back there also. That's that's also what the what news is also, uh, you know, known for, I guess, besides sexual harassment. But it's a notorious business for a bunch of things. Drinking, re- relationships, cheating, sexual assaults. I've never personally experienced it, thank God. Um, I've never seen it happen, thank God. Um, I, but yeah, I mean, if if somebody did go through that, like, I feel I feel for that person. Um, okay. But, I got about five minutes, <laughs> five minutes left with you. I want to hit a couple more bases before we have to wrap it up. But um, most sure. recently, now with OANN and a reporter and anchor, your dream job, and you have been since January of this year until now, maybe change of place. You can talk about it half the year in. How do you like it in the anchor chair? Was it a dream come true? It totally is a dream come true. I love every single day, even the weekends, even the weekend work, the early mornings. I love it. I love telling people stories. I love getting the truth out. I love doing the digging and finding, you know, the real story and why. And honestly, the biggest question that I like to incorporate um, and the the answer to those questions is why should the everyday person care? Why should you care? Why should some random farmer in Iowa care about what's happening um, in our country and in our government? And, you know, I like to try and answer those questions because everyone's affected by it in one way or another, whether you're seeing it or not, you know, change is coming. Um, and I, and it's scary. It's scary change, especially in this administration. Um, you know, this whole new world order stuff and all, you know, the conspiracy theorists are right. Alex Jones was right. I like to say, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, put another dollar in the Alex Jones was right jar. I mean, every day there's something that comes out that just kind of reinforces uh, you know, that, you know, every day people should be caring about this. Uh, Politico put something out to, today, this morning. Um, I don't know if you saw the Politico playbook. Um, they mentioned me and uh, they said that I'm going to be the White House correspondent. So, you know, the rumors are kind of true, I'd like to say. So, Congratulations. Um, now I can actually ask questions about you. it. I've been biting my tongue. <laughs> you know, we had, know, Simon, know. We, we had Simon Atiba on here. Uh, he mm-hmm. was the White House correspondent for Africa News Today, and uh, cringe Jean-Pierre got into it with him, and Pasaki mm. before her, 
he didn't get his credentials renewed. Very political, very discriminatory, in my opinion, um, against him. Uh, what What is it like in the press pool? So, uh, so I officially, so I officially was in the press briefing room about last week or so, and I got to meet Simon and I told him how much I admire him and his work. And it's a real shame. And he knows it. He's like, I know they're censoring us the way they're censoring you guys at OAN. So he, we are very much on the same team. We are very much going to be allies moving forward. Um, it's, it's a, it's being in the lion's den. It really is. I mean, you've got people from all different news outlets. Uh, you know, I saw Jeremy Diamond from CNN glaring at me and he didn't even know who I was on my first day in that press briefing room. But I saw those dagger eyes, Jeremy, you know, call me. <laughs> um, it's funny they yeah, call it a, a, a pool, a press pool, because it's built over a former pool that LBJ of all people used to swim naked in with reporters. Any reminders yeah. of that still around or is it completely paved over? It's a very small room. It's completely paved over. It's it's seven by seven, and it is way smaller than I thought it was going to be. Um, it's it can get kind of stuffy in there. It's you know depending on the day, depending on the news, it's tense um, or it's relaxed. You know depending on how Karine Jean Pierre is feeling that day and how the reporters are feeling that day as well. Um, I'm I'm going to guess it's very tense today and this week with with all this Hunter Biden crap coming out, which yeah. is she, nuts. She, sh she shut her book and oh, walked yeah. out today. Yeah. Of course she did. Of course she did. That doesn't surprise me. I wasn't there. I'm, I'm not there yet, like in D.C. But yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It's all deflecting and defending and, you know, close the book and walk away. And that's basically um, turning their backs on the American people and the press. Back um, in the but, day, back in the day, the Emerald Robinson of her time, Helen Thomas, uh, who was always like 80, used to have her own permanent chair and was traditionally always called on first. I think Trump actually was the one that broke that tradition because she was rude to him and he didn't like her, but she's since passed away. Is there a new always first pick person? Is it kind of clubby like that? Uh, the front row, the front row. If you're in the front row, it's CNN. You got Fox, but Fox is not first. Um, it's or MSNBC, I think, is in the front row. And there is a saying that Karine Jean-Pierre never picks on people or never calls on people past the third row. If she calls people past the third row, like you're 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 in luck. Um, and when I was there, she, she did that a couple of times. She did the fifth row and then she even reached all the way to the back row. Um, you know, I do want to create only a like five one. So maybe she just can't see that far back. Yeah, or she's or she's a little nervous about the hardball questions that she knows the back row will ask. Um, sure that, speaking of hardball questions, it used to be viral videos of Peter Ducey at Fox. His dad is on mm -hmm. Fox and Friends. Um, he'd ask tough questions and get into it with cringe. Haven't seen that in a while. Is he kicked out too? A good question, because I was asking myself the same thing too. Uh, I was hoping to see him. I haven't seen him, but apparently I will meet him sometime soon. I'm hoping to. Uh, I, I think they have, I forget who, who it is, I forget her name, but she's she's been in the front row in his seat for right now. Um, but I do plan on having a good rapport with her. I plan on trying to build a good rapport with her so I can get a question or two in yeah. from time you know, to time. You're on the outs, you know, yeah. And CNN right, just so, bolstered their roster with on-air personalities by hiring CNBC's Kayla Tausch, I think it's pronounced, uh, as their new okay. senior White House correspondent. So you'll both be newbies at the same time. My guess is with her being at CNN, she'll be treated a little nicer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you, you, I see the way that she talks to them versus the way that she talks to uh, some of the other news outlets. And she doesn't really call it international news outlets either. Like not only Simon, but I've become friends with like Epic Times and, you know, the Israeli news sites and even like 
um, I forget who, but I've been I've been talking to a lot of people who are involved in like Asian media and Korean Jean Pierre doesn't call on them. And you know, if somebody who's supposed to be all about diversity and inclusion and you don't call on people, and, and this guy from uh, from India News, he's in the back of the room standing, he doesn't have a chair. He's raising his hand, trying to ask a question. She doesn't call on him either. Um, it would be nice to see her call on some more diverse people and, and see what you know what their because I want to know their questions too. But she's historic, um, maybe, so maybe she, she can has, get away with yeah. that. Right, right. She's yeah. She's just, she's going to go down in history. Um, but yeah, I mean, as the worst one ever, there... by the way. But yeah, we'll. we'll <laughs> so I got time yeah. for maybe one one or two more, but I want to get them out. Sorry to sorry to rush, but I spent a lot of time on your background. What house uh, White House Correspondents' Dinner is held in April, I believe. Hopefully, you have a long tenure there. Were you looking forward to that? That is one of the the, the nerd prom, as they call it. I definitely want to go. Um, you depend, it doesn't matter who's in office. I know some people are like, well, I'm not going to go if Biden's in office or I won't go if Trump's in office. I just want to go. I just want to be included. I want to people watch. I want to look at the outfits. I want to see what's going on. Um, yes, I very much do want to go. And I hope I hope I get the invite. I think you'd have a good time. All right. A dear friend of yeah. mine, Christine Bellport, episode 13, Steve. Holy smokes. That was a long time ago. Anyway, she was an anchor in San Diego before your time. Savannah, Georgia, and Madison, Wisconsin, um, all MB NBC affiliates. Each time she left um, was hard because she became part of the community, like a trusted friend to viewers. They tune in every morning. They want to hear about it, just like you. So what is next for, for Monica Page? Um, I know San Diego, you're going to be saying goodbye to. You ever thought of maybe going the Megyn Kelly route and uh, starting your own independent podcast she's huge on Sirius satellite radio now we talked about that a little bit um she also told us it was impossible to get another gig in her 50s um mm. do you plan doing this into your older age absolutely plan on doing this for the rest of my life um whether it's politics or whatever it may be i definitely want to have my own show one day um but i think this new step um heading back east and, and taking on these responsibilities will definitely help me build some credibility to my name and help build me up as a journalist so that i can have my own show one day um and i would i would like to start my own thing i think that'd be pretty cool i like what maggie kelly's doing um but also you know we'll see where it goes and especially with media and tv how it's going where maybe tv is going to be on the outs and streaming is just everything that's that's the future right now you know it'll it'll we'll see where it goes all right, last question. If a 16-year-old Monica working at Burger King today came up to you and said, should I follow my dream and be a news anchor like you today, what would you tell little Monica? Yes, do it. Do it and and do not stop. Everyone, I you know, I always heard the saying, never give up, never give up. And I'm like, okay, that's so stupid. Like, of course you don't give up, whatever. Like, or 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 you can give up, whatever. Who but no, if the more that you keep trying and pushing and 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 really put in the work um you will see results and um and don't listen to anybody you know people laughed when i told them my dreams people said oh yeah as if that's ever gonna happen good luck with that uh yeah just keep doing it use that as fuel turn pain into power that's what i did you know you turn the things that hurt you into the things that you could build your strengths and you know build your own empire um and if there's not a it's not there's not a path make one yourself you know because there, there's a first for everything um stay true to yourself always always follow your values and your morals um always stay true to you because that's because at the end of this whole thing all you got is yourself so that's, that's right. That's know. well said. Yep. My other favorite Italian, yep. uh, Rocky Balboa, he would never quit either. So good for you for saying right. that. Uh, Monica, 
Thank you for your time and coming on the show with us. It was great. Uh, we are at the end here. So tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you, follow your social media, and you might want to explain why your Twitter handle is the Monfather. <laughs> Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, this has been so much fun. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, at the Monfather. Um, that name actually came from the Godfather, but I wanted to change it into, like I wanted to incorporate Monica and Italian. So how can I make a name that's creative and different? And the Monfather just came to be. Um, I would have gotten sued if I called myself the Teflon Mon and trademarked that because Teflon would come after me and that would not have been a good thing. Um, I would have been out of millions of dollars. Uh, but no, the Monfather trademarked, it's good to go so nobody can take it. I can sue you if you try to take it. Um, take it. So yeah, the Monfather. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you. And good luck in DC. We will look for you on TV. We'll see your hand raised and hope they call on you and start sending emails to cringe Jean-Pierre and tell her to call on OANN. And of course, subscribe to OANN. Thank you so much, Steve. Have a great day. I'm Cole Walker. I'm a UT Martin radio athlete collegiately, and this is Mill Creek View Podcast. I don't understand how you ever did without me. I don't understand how I bring you down to your knees. Welcome. I got to remember to let me say me. Welcome to the Steve and Steve segment of our show, where we cover what we just heard. Producer Steve, what do you think of our guest, Monica, the Monfather trademark? I like the fact that she trademarked that. And uh, <laughs> sorry, Steve, I don't have the red light. We're not, we're not, we're not, uh, uh, Live, know, the caliber yeah. of Newsmax and only, you know, uh, One America Network and all that kind of stuff. But Steve, um, what a great interview! I even let you go over because I was I enjoying this, it so much. I do have my on air. Oh, good. Those that are interested. <laughs> I'll have to have one on my end. Um, the It was very interesting. And I understand, Steve, that you got to be on, uh, was it her show or one yeah. of the shows? Yeah. How did yeah, that work out? So, so on our Rumble channel, Mill Creek View on Rumble, you can not only see the new CEO special episodes one through six now, a new one every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern time, but you can see the segment of Monica interviewing me live on her show. So pretty cool. Little, uh, quid pro quo, you might say, or uh, a favor returned. So um, she's got a great story. She's We're going to be hearing about her quite a bit. I think she's kind of a catching, a rising star. And I'm uh, thrilled to have had her on my show. And uh, I enjoyed being on her show. And hopefully I'll get invited to her replacement show as well. So we'll see. Oh, that'll be great. Um, and, and, and you'll have to just track her. So when she actually gets an actual question in, you'll have to mention it on the show. Hey, Monica got a question. <laughs> yeah. And I've had two of White House correspondence on the show now, so it's official. That's cool. All right, producer Steve, nobody seems to want to keep tabs on the drunken sailors spending all our great grandkids' money mostly on interest on the debt and defense, so I guess I get to do it. I'm excited. Check it out. We'll see if Monica uh, also follows the money. So U.S. spent $13 billion sponsoring unaccompanied minor children at the border since 2012, Breaking news, last year, the Fed spent $2.7 billion, roughly $18,000 per unaccompanied child at the border, 
For context, the average cost of education in Texas K through 12 schools was 9,800 per student. Unaccompanied children are defined as those under 18 who have no lawful immigration status in the US and who do not have a parent or legal guardian that can provide custody. According to the agency's Unaccompanied Children program website, the office oversees making placement decisions for these minors, releasing them to, quote, qualified sponsors and family members, and providing the children with legal representation and advice, among many other responsibilities. The biggest grant recipients have collected over $3 billion from fiscal year 2012 to 2022. Southwest Key Programs, $3.7 billion. Baptist Child and Family Services, Health and Human Services, $3.1 billion. Three other organizations have split another $1.3 billion in funding. Comprehensive Health Services, $484 million. Cayuga Home for Children, $453 million. And Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services, $395 million. That's a lot of cheddar. In April 2023, Robin Dunn-Marcos, the director of the Office of Refugee Resettlement, the office responsible for the unaccompanied child program, was asked about operations and the 85,000 children the agency reportedly lost contact with. During questioning, Marcos said she did not believe the sponsor vetting system was inadequate. However, Marcos would not state whether the 85,000 missing children number is accurate. That's not 85, that's not 850, that's 85,000. That may not be accurate. Leadership cannot answer basic questions. Bad actors are taking advantage. Nonprofit social service organizations are reaping billions with a B. Taxpayers are left paying the skyrocketing bill for a corrupt and overwhelmed system. Okay, that was unpleasant news. Sorry. You need it to know. That's okay. It's only, what did I say, 13 billion? How about this? Federal agency admits to $3 trillion in improper payments since 2004. A few egregious examples. The Small Business Administration made improper payments through seven of its programs, the Paycheck Protection Program, was designed to help small businesses keep employees during the draconian shutdown measures, but it misspent more than $29 billion, $16.5 billion through unknown payments, and $12.5 billion by improper payments. The S- I don't know the difference between unknown and improper. If it was improper, it shouldn't have been <laughs> unknown because they shouldn't know about it. The SBA Inspector General has also admitted to $100 billion in fraudulent aid, including $78.1 billion in PPP fraud, that's Paycheck Protection Program fraud. The Department of Labor spent $18.9 billion incorrectly. Federal State Unemployment Insurance, a program that historically makes up most of the total improper payments, did so again. Current estimates are $400 billion in unemployment fraud. At the Social Security Administration, the Old Age Survivors and Disability Insurance Program flubbed $2.5 billion, while Supplemental Security Income sent $4.9 billion astray. <laughs> 14 Department of Agricultural Programs botched $19 billion worth of spending. The Farm Service Agency Coronavirus Food Assistance Program misspent $743 million. The Commodity Credit Corporation Agricultural Risk Coverage and Price Loss Coverage lost $379 million. The Department of Education admitted that nearly $6 billion went wrong from funds earmarked for COVID-19 recovery and rebuilding <laughs> efforts. Pell Grants, meanwhile, wasted $586 million. While lawmakers fight over how many trillions to spend per year, every dollar blown hurts the taxpayers and fails a critical mission. Speaking of fails, 
clip number one, please. Joseph Biden dropped out of the hunt today, saying the disclosures about his plagiarism in law school and his exaggerations about his academic record made it impossible for him to continue. I do it with incredible reluctance, and it makes me angry. I'm angry with myself for having been put in the position, put myself in the position, of having to make this choice. The Delaware Democrat is the second candidate to be forced from the race by questions of character and integrity. He's there, Steve. He's there. How did he get in? Vintage Biden drops out of president's race 1987 to 88 because of plagiarism and over-exaggerated academic record. But at least he's good at hiring those smarter than him, right? I mean, that's the effective job of a manager or a leader or a president is to make sure that if you don't know how to do something, the absolute best person is nearby to get the answers, make a decision, even a consensus, go. <laughs> Joe Biden's fat White House payroll spikes to historic highs, includes 524 employees costing taxpayers $52 plus million. Bidenomics hits the White House payroll by Adam Andrzejewski opened the books on Substack. During President Joe Biden's first three years, he spent $158.8 million on the largest White House payroll in American history based on headcount. White House staff for fiscal year 2023 collectively cost $52,775,234.16. I made up the 16 cents part. No White House ever employed 500 staffers until Biden became president. The Biden White House employed 560 in fiscal year 2021 and only 474 in fiscal year 2022. In 2023, the headcount increased by 50 to 524 idiots. Biden employs 108 more staffers than Trump, 416, fiscal year 2019, and 70 more than Obama, 454, fiscal year 2011 at the same point in their respective presidencies. There was 46% turnover in White House staff year over year. 220 employees from last year are no longer on payroll. Last year, the turnover rate was 39%. The turnover in Biden's third year is 10% higher than the 36% turnover in 2019, Trump's third year. Jill Biden's staff more than doubled from last year, 8 to 20 this year. The top paid is Dimitri C. Daskalaskis, $260,718. Deputy, deputy coordinator for the monkeypox response. <laughs> the second most highly paid is Anand H. Doss, $216,414. We're in the wrong line of work, Steve. Senior deputy associate counsel. Both were previously stationed at federal agencies, the Center for Disease Control, of course, and the Securities and Exchange Commission, respectively, and now serve the White House, quote, on detail. The two top paid employees from last year are not with the administration any longer, Francis S. Collins, 300,000, oh. acting science advisor to the president. That was vaccine, uh, vaccine, oh. get the vaccine. <laughs> that was Fauci's boss, yep. yep. And Burke's boss for a little while. And the immediate former director of the National Institute of Health and Louisa M. Paywanski, $191,300, senior policy advisor for transportation. Other top employees include the Biden policy czars. Biden doesn't disclose his issue advisors as czars. However, he employs 115 special assistants to the president on policies ranging from criminal justice and guns to gender to climate to separately climate finance. Something like 150,000 to look out the window and say, it's going to be a nice day today. Last year, he employed 91 people with that title. Mm -hmm. 
Next story, California school district passed a policy which says parents should be informed if their child changes their gender name or pronouns. Hmm. Let's listen to clip number two. That nearly half of students who identify as being LGBTQ plus are considering suicide. I ask you to consider this, that the policy that you consider tonight not only may fall outside of the laws that respect privacy and safety for our students, but may put our students at risk because they may not be in homes where they can be safe. Time. 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 And I learned something from a previous board president. Guys, be respectful. I am going to do a point of order, which I learned from a previous board president. Tony Thurman, I appreciate you being here tremendously. But here's the problem. We're here because of people like you. You're in Sacramento proposing things that pervert children. You had a chance to come and talk to me, Tony. By all means, you had a chance to come talk to me. Why was it so important for you to walk with my opponent? You are the very reason why we're in this. May, may I have, as a point of order, as the board point of order, this is not your meeting. You may have a seat, because if I did that to you in Sacramento, you would not accept it. Please sit. I get a point of order? You're not going to blackmail us. You already sent us a blackmailing letter on previous things. You will, not, you will not bully us here in Chino. Please see. Point of order. In Chino. Point We're going to take order. a five-minute break. So, Steve, tell me a little bit about what's going on here. I it's really hard for yeah, me watching yeah. so, it, much less the listener, to understand what is going on here in the in. So, California school district in Chino, okay, passed a policy which said parents need to be informed if their child changes their gender, name, or pronoun. That's okay. a very good thing, is it not? It is. And the gentleman that you just heard who tried to hijack that meeting from the woman who is the president of the school board is the state superintendent of California oh. who showed up to protest their passing of that policy and was escorted out by security after he tried to go over his time. And he was also trying to promote the same ideology that people are going to commit suicide. It's going to be deadly if you don't admit that your child is a is a confused individual because they need help and, and that you have to tell them that yes you are a male when you're a female so this is the agenda and they lie about it and this school board said nope we're not going with the program right yep. and he didn't like that very much all right next story i found this interesting producer steve what month were you born in uh september that make you a libra uh virgo virgo okay 50 percent of virgos are fully vaccinated pretty good that's the second lowest um of the my uh, sister, zodiac my wife, signs my wife and i 
<laughs> okay. Scorpio was the least, 46%. Uh, Leo, ironically enough, was the largest, 70%. My, my fellow Aquarians, 67% fully vaccinated. <laughs> Next on the list, Aries, 59%, Sagittarius, 59%, Cancer, 58%, Taurus, 56%, Gemini, 55%, Libra, 54%, Pisces, 51%, Capricorn, 51%, Virgo, 40%, only Scorpio was below 50% at 46%. That's according to Salt Lake County Health Department, uh, Salt Lake County COVID-19 vaccination rates by Zodiac sign. Very disappointed in my fellow Aquarius. Aquarians are second on the list. They are supposed to be the individualists and contrarians like me of the Zodiac. Not according to that chart. Um, pretty That's sad. interesting. That's really Yeah, interesting. I thought so too. Remember this number for a second. 0.0002. Okay, keep that in mind and listen to this clip. President Biden says he wants 50% of new cars to be electric by 2030. True, but I guess now it's 60%. True or false, a typical electric car requires six times the mineral inputs of a, con of a conventional car. Yes. If 50% of the cars were electric vehicles today, is there enough power on the electric grid to charge them all? Absolutely not, no. You said in your written statement, Mr. Bradbury, I'm going to quote you, if every country in the world achieved its stated EV targets by 2030, the total savings in carbon dioxide emissions would be expected to reduce global temperatures by only 0. 0.0002 degrees Fahrenheit by the year 2100. Given this fact, is it unilaterally gutting the U.S. auto market, critical mineral supply chain, and the grid stability? Is that the solution for addressing the temperature goals? Well, I, I don't think so. True or false? <laughs> okay. Let's take a trip, quick trip around the country, shall we? I'll try to do it as fast as I can. New York City to pay violent BLM and Tifa protesters $13 million. Officials have agreed to pay $13 million to violent 2020 Summer of Love BLM and Antifa protesters after they caused damage to 45 businesses. Over 1,300 protesters are eligible to be paid nearly $9,950 for police action after their summer of violence, looting, arson, and property wow. destruction following the death of George Floyd. That does not include payments to roughly 300 protesters awarded nearly $12 million in individual lawsuits, CNN reports. Flip over to Idaho, college town to pay 300,000 to Christians arrested for having an outdoor church service. The three churchgoers were forced with violating, were charged with violating Moscow's public health emergency ordinance during the pandemic. In March 2021, a group of three Christians with Christ Church sued the city after they were arrested for singing outdoors their church in 2020 with no mass on. They were detained at the jail for hours. Gabriel Wrench and Sean and Rachel Bonet were charged with violating Moscow's public health emergency ordinance. Always something out of Oregon. That is hard to believe. But Moscow, true. Idaho. Well, that was, that was my segue. Thank you for helping me. Next story. Always something out of Oregon. That is hard to believe, but true. Oregon Department of Corrections ordered to provide taxpayer-funded sex change treatments for a transgender pedophile. Joseph Daniel Nielsen, a biological male who now goes by Nova June Gaia, 38, was imprisoned for sexually abusing a young girl. Nielsen was arrested in Portland in 2018 for sexually assaulting the young child he was babysitting. Nielsen was sentenced to 24 years in prison with his earliest possible release date being 2043. 
No matter to this judge, in May of this year, Senior Judge Cheryl Pellegrini found that the Department of Corrections was in violation of the Oregon Constitution that prohibits prisoners from being treated with unnecessary vigor. The Department of Corrections must now arrange for a variety of taxpayer-subsidized treatments for GAIA, including facial feminization surgery, tracheal shaving, breast augmentation, and electrolysis, and transfer GAIA if the procedures can't be carried out in his current county of incarceration. Nielsen is still housed in a male prison, which may change due to Pellegrini's ruling. That reminds me of another story I've held on to for you all. New DOD docs show transgender service members receive fitness exemptions, drug testing waivers, and paid vacations. Female service members are being forced to live and share bathrooms and showers with biological men. Transgender identifying service members can remain in good standing with the U.S. military, even if they're morbidly obese, drug, ad drug addicts, and they won't have to worry about getting deployed either. According to new documents, these service members also qualify for paid vacations every time they get a new, quote, surgery to affirm their gender identity. The Biden administration has not just merely rescinded the Trump administration's transgender military ban, they've installed a new hierarchy in the Pentagon that places the rainbow flag agenda above all others. Long ways from Corporal Klinger on MASH. Well, pretty close, actually. According to Jordan Schachtel, no wonder this headline um, had to be written. Military recruiting considers resignation after being forced to shower with trans women with full male genitalia. Report by Hannah Grossman, Fox News, July 18, 2023. Ooh. So yes, the aforementioned hypothetical is no exaggeration. A transgender identifying service member can in fact be a morbidly obese drug addict and not have to worry about complying with virtually any semblance of basic standards as long as they're still popping estrogen pills. Following mutilation procedures, service members are often granted convalescence leave, paid leave, and light duty privileges. Sounds like a party. Next story, landmark pre-trial hearing granted in workers' compensation lawsuit, Ohio nurse coerced to receive COVID-19 vaccine resulting in severe neurological disorder. That'll cost them quite a few bucks. Daniel Baker, Danielle Baker, an experienced registered nurse, is gearing up to take her former employer, Ohio's Hospice, Inc., to court after she was coerced to receive the Pfizer mRNA COVID-19 vaccine after developing a serious neurological condition known as transverse myelitis post-vaccination. Baker will see her day in court early next year. Baker is a seasoned healthcare professional specializing in hospice and palliative care for two decades. She spent the last 17 years caring for her patients in hospice care. I proudly worked for Ohio's hospice for 17 years. Never imagined that this agency that profited up to $49 million a year would turn their back on me when I needed them the most. Instead, they have left me and my family in financial ruins. This is just the tip of the iceberg, and we plan on flipping it upside down by settling precedents for others when we rightfully win this case. That's going to leave a mark. Do I have any Illinois or Chicago refugees in Tennessee that listen to me? I don't know, but here's one story to make you a little homesick for the Windy City. Chicago spent $126.5 million on police overtime in six months, an almost 50% jump over last year's record show. It took less than five months for CPD to exhaust the $100 million earmarked for police overtime set by the Chicago City Council as part of the city's 2023 budget, according to data obtained 
by WTTW News through a Freedom of Information Act request, the city spent approximately $238 million on overtime during the first half of 2023 across departments, an increase of 24.6% as compared with the first half of 2022, according to city's data. We are not going to hire our way out of this problem, Witzberg said, noting that Chicago has significantly more officers per capita than either New York or Los Angeles, where the rate of violent crime is significantly lower than in Chicago. Chicago's recorded 301 murders in the first six months of 2023, a 6% decrease from the first six months of 2022, according to police data. There, we'll end on that optimistic note. Crime is down from 2022. Oh, wait, what the heck am I doing? I'm only supposed to do four stories. Sorry. Stay tuned for my thought of the day. With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally, without restrictive exercise or cardboard, dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof. Look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know. I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com. This is Joseph Sempervivo. Thank you so much for tuning in to Mill Creek View Podcast. All right, producer Steve, you got me. Why why'd you choose that? Because the it. electric vehicles. You your little clip on the electric vehicles. I uh, had to come in and I had to say something about it. I mean, we need okay. to learn how to do the electric slide out of electric vehicles as soon as possible. Mm, mm, I'm not sure the electric slide is eco-friendly, but it might be. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to my quote for the day. But before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View Podcast. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes and hit the subscribe button and follow us. Journalism is what we need to make democracy work. Walter Cronkite. Walter Leland Cronkite Jr. was an American broadcast journalist who served as anchorman for the CBS Evening News for 19 years from 1962 to 1981. Interesting years. During the 1960s and 70s, he was often cited as the most trusted man in America after being named so in an opinion poll. The TV business is uglier than most things. It is normally perceived as some kind of cruel and shallow money trench through the heart of the journalism industry, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs for no reason. Hunter S. Thompson I read Hunter Thompson for the first time in college when Hemingway bored the crap out of me. I am so glad I did. He was awesome. Original gonzo journalist. And unlike most alcoholic, he was a junkie. Uh, not alcoholic, a junkie. Great journalism will always attract readers. The words, pictures, and graphics that are the stuff of journalism have to be brilliantly packaged. They must feed the mind and move the heart. Rupert Murdoch currently letting his liberal daughter-in-law and son ruin a once-fine news outlet, Fox News. Rigorous skepticism is a prerequisite for good science, just as it is for good journalism. 
Miranda Devine, reporter, New York Post, owned by Murdoch, author of Laptop from Hell. Everything you hear on the news today about Hunter Biden is in there only two years ago. It's never too late to try authenticity. Also, Miranda Devine, amen. I try every show. That's it for this episode. Really hope you liked it. Thank you, Monica Page, for reminding us there is honor in the newsroom. But don't Google her name, Monica Page. You'll end up seeing things you can't unsee of a different Monica Page. Luisi, if you know what's good for you. L-U-I-S-I. -I. Monica Luisi is who I just had on as a guest. Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. Peace in our time. Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.